We haven't been together for a couple weeks. And so let's just remember what it is that we're talking about. And to illustrate that, I want to remind you of a television show that you might have watched just like I did. Now, when I was 15, 16 years old or younger, um, we didn't have, you know, 800 channels or whatever it is that is on Comcast or, or whatever you have now on the television satellite that comes into your house. At my house, we had, we say 13 channels, but one wasn't a channel, right? So, so you had two through 13. Then you had those weird UHF channels, okay, that were never anything but fuzz. But once in a while, actually often, there wouldn't be something that you wanted to watch on one of your very few channels. And so you would click the little click. Remember this, the channel selector thing that you would spin, okay? And you could do it real, real quick, and then your dad would say, you're going to break it, you're going to break it, if you'd spin it real fast. Remember that? Okay. So you'd click around once in a while, and you would find this show. It was pretty much, as I recall, always in black and white, probably made in the 50s or 60s. And um, it, it, it had a, a running theme. That basically, all the stories went the same way. And that was you had an individual who was living what he thought to be regular life, but in reality, everyone else around him was living something different. Whether everybody else around him spoke in odd terms or they saw things backwards or nobody else noticed the strange little creature on the airplane wing when he was flying. Do you remember what show I'm talking about? Anybody? Anybody? Twilight Zone. Twilight, who watched the Twilight Zone? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, just, okay, three of us. Wow. I thought it was more popular than that. Okay, maybe you'll understand this example. So, have you ever been to the Hershey Chocolate Factory? Yes? And, and at one point, the floor is, is a giant circle, and it's spinning, okay? The whole floor is spinning at one point. Have you been there? Have you been there? Okay. And the weird thing, this weird thing happens. You're walking on the, the round spinning floor and for, you, you get used to it. And you're walking around and then when you step off of the round spinning floor, what happens? You almost fall down. Have you had that experience? The floor's spinning. You step on a floor that isn't spinning and that quickly you've, come used, you've become used to it. Now, here's why I use both of those illustrations. Twilight Zone, everybody else is living strangely except for me. Spinning circle on the ground. I get used to it. I can't walk on a normal ground. Some of you know where I'm headed. The Sermon on the Mount is to inform us of what life is really like. What, what it's like to live with a kingdom mentality. What it's like to live God's way. What we were intended to experience. The design that God fashioned for mankind. That is the Sermon on the Mount. So we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Let me just say a few words of, of review about this. We talked about that the Gospel of Matthew is referring to the kingdom of God. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse number 17 with me. I think I've had that for the screen. Um, Matthew four seventeen, Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, began to preach. And he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
we said that a kingdom means three things. A kingdom means three things. It means you have a ruler. It means you have a realm. And it means you have a rule. So let's understand that. In order to have a kingdom, you've got to have a king. The kingdom is run by the king. And Jesus Christ is establishing that he is, he is bringing forth, he is bringing to, to hand his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, God's rule in our lives and on the world. And we must have a ruler. But a kingdom also includes a realm. Now what does that mean? Well, think about a king. A king has a castle surrounded by a moat with alligators in it, right? Draw a bridge, all that kind of stuff, okay? So if you've got a king without a realm... He ain't a king. A king has to have a land and a people that he is ruling over. Otherwise, he's not a king. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you are to be part of the realm of the kingdom. The call is for God, Jesus Christ, the king, to rule in your life. None others No one else, nothing else. This king demands that he be first in those within his realm. So a realm includes a people. We also talked about how a realm includes a place. Now right now, when you're on this earth, it's clear that Jesus Christ is not fully running this earth, at least not the way that we want him to. Let me read to you in Isaiah chapter 11. Listen to what, how the kingdom of God is explained and described. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read at verse number 6. And, and hear how God, through the prophet Isaiah, describes what it's like when Jesus Christ is ruling. When his, when his rule is in place completely. The wolf shall, shall dwell with the lamb. And the the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Now this is not about a cool zoo. That's not what it's about, okay? This is God trying to let us to see, allow us to see that our experience here on this earth, right now, is not what God intended. It's been marred by sin. The world has been cursed by sin. Adam fell and with him death reigned. And so now you put that wolf with that lamb and that wolf's having dinner. You put that child over the hole of the cobra and that's going to be a passed on child. It's just the nature of now. But listen, there is a kingdom coming. And we're praying and longing for him to come. And it's not just about animals. But Isaiah chapter 6 talked about how right now on this world, on this planet, in this time. And Isaiah was writing literally 2,500 years ago. Right is called wrong and wrong is called right. Many of us grieved over what we saw in the news this week when one of our 50 states approved and stood behind the abortion of of children right up until their their very due date. And some of us shake, 
we shake our heads and we, we wring our hands and we say, how can this be? How can this be? Listen, there's coming a kingdom where Jesus Christ, the ruler, will rule over his realm, people, and a place. But the third element, and this is what we're going to get into today, is we're going to call this the rule. A ruler, a realm, and a rule. And a rule is the way of the king. This is what God calls those that are in his realm to live. God is going to share with us, Jesus Christ is going to teach us, Matthew is going to record for us what the rule of God looks like. It's in Matthew chapter 5. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to walk three times through these 12 verses. Okay, We're going to walk through them three times. Three, three different kinds of walks. Okay, Three different times we're going to go through these and we're going to understand something else about the rule of God. And the first thing that we're going to notice is this concept of blessedness. Blessedness. Okay, so look with me in Matthew chapter 5. Thanks for reading that, Sean. Uh, well done. And, um, you know, the thing about this passage, verses 1 through 12, honestly, we could probably just read it and go on home. I mean, it speaks for itself. You might be thinking, well, Lowell, why don't you just go ahead and do that then, all right? Sean read it. Let's just go on home. Well, I want to take some time and allow the Spirit of God to, to not so much reveal new truth to us. That's not really my intention. It's not, so much to, it's not so much to give you ideas or concepts that you really have never thought of before. My desire for us in this passage this morning is to encourage your heart. I want you to be encouraged today. Because many of you are longing in your lives to live out the rule of God. There's 168 hours a week. And you're here for maybe one to three. So that means 165 to 167 hours. You got the world trying to press you into its mold. Trying to press you into its mold. And I want you to be encouraged today. That when you live out the rule of God in your life, you are living out your design. And I want you to be encouraged about that. The first thing I want us to see is the nature of the kingdom of God. The nature of the kingdom of God. Now when you look at verse number 3 and 4, you can see this right from the very beginning. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now let's just take those two phrases, those two verses, the first phrase of both of them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, our second walk through this passage, we'll talk more about what this means, but I'll tell you what it means just, to, just in a snippet right now. It means destitute. It means destitute. So blessed are the destitute. Blessed are those who don't have. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who are impoverished. Now, Matthew adds in spirit, Luke doesn't even say that. Blessed are the poor. And so what we need to recognize is that this is not, this, this passage and this teaching that Jesus has given us and Matthew's recording, it does not align with the, with the world. It does not align with the world. I remember this study. It's kind of a cruel study that was done with toddlers, with two, three-year-olds. They had one of those little 
those little shape sorters. Remember those things? You played with them when you were in like diapers, okay? And you know, you had like the, the, you had the circle and it would go into the circle hole. Remember? Hours of fun, right? The square in the square hole and, and rectangle in the rectangle hole. And then the advanced star into the star hole. Yeah. Well, there must have been this cruel group of sadomasochist psychologists because what they did is they handed this child, several of these children, these two, three-year-olds, the ball that they put the shapes in, but the shapes didn't fit. They were the wrong size. So, you know, the star, instead of having five points, had six. And the, and the square wasn't a square. It was stretched, so it was a rectangle. And they got this little two, three-year-old in this room, okay, like a nursery, you know, all painted, friendly, and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, doll babies and teddy bears and all that, and a camera watching this child. You know, he's like, and he sucks on the little square, and he, rectangle, and he goes to put it into the hole, and it doesn't fit. And he throws it down, and then he gets the six-pointed star, and trying to get it into, you know, the little kid was smart. He's like, star, star, it should fit. And he got more and more frustrated. And, and invariably, before the study was done, the, the baby is just crying his head off because it doesn't work. Maybe you feel that way. You're like a five-pointed star and there's a six-pointed hole. You're a square and it's called for a rectangle. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. The nature of this kingdom is upside down. It's paradoxical. It's reverse. It does not align with what, God, what, what this world is now giving you. And listen, this is all through Scripture. Listen, you won't take time to, to go to those references, but, but listen to the teaching of Jesus. Jesus said the first will be last. The servant is the greatest. To find life, you must die to yourself. To find freedom, you must become a slave of Christ. The leader is the one who serves. To be rich, give away your wealth. The rich struggle to be blessed. The poor are blessed. You are to pray for your enemies. That we are to be united in, of all different races. That men and women are equal. That the woman and the child are treasured. That eternity matters. These are the little cubes. These are the circles. These are the shapes. And they don't fit in the sorter. Oh, but one day they will. And in the meantime, what Jesus is going to show us is that we, as being the correct shapes, are the salt, are the light. Because this world doesn't produce. So what we're being offered here from Jesus, from God, is a blessed life. Now let's talk about this word blessing. The word means happy, okay? It, it means fulfilled. It means fortunate. It's what it means. There are some translations that say happy are the so it is very true that it is the word happy. But this blessedness is informed by the Old Testament. You see, we don't just land in the Gospel of Matthew. 
We, we have 39 books of inspired scripture prior to the Gospel of Matthew. And in that, in that scripture, the concept of the blessing of God is informed. We, we can learn about what it means to be blessed of God. Listen, there are, there are salesmen out there right now in churches across this planet who are taking these very verses and telling the poor, destitute people in front of them, if they just be good enough, God will give them money and they will be blessed. And their cars will never break down and their houses will grow in value and their businesses will always succeed. And folks, it's a lie. It's a lie, lie, lie. Tradition records that the man who wrote this, Matthew, gave up his life in martyrdom, as did most of the disciples, the followers of Jesus. I mean, the very speaker himself, Jesus, said, I got nowhere to lay my head. So this is not talking about financial blessing. Keep your finger here and go to two very familiar passages. Wow. I think that happened when I touched my Bible. Um, go, go, to, go to Psalm chapter 1 with me, all right? Go to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. If you haven't memorized Psalm 1, you should. You really should. This would be a great passage for you to memorize. Look what, look what the psalmist writes. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Listen, let me tell you what blessedness is. Let me tell you what blessedness is. This passage and many others help us understand that blessedness is God for you. That blessedness is God with you. Blessedness is the presence of God in your life. That's what blessedness is. It's not things, it's not popularity, it's not pleasure. It's the presence of God in your life. And so the psalmist says that this man is blessed because his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now understand that in the Jewish mind, the law of the Lord was the very presence of God. You have God with you. So Ephesians says, you are rich in spiritual things. So you are blessed by God. Blessing of God is God for you. God with you. God forgiving you. And God being with you. You. So this is the nature of the kingdom of heaven. We'll just go to that one psalm for sake of time. You can all see it in Psalm 119 in case you're interested. But go back to Matthew chapter 5 if you turn back to the book of Psalms. So the nature of the kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdom of this world. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. But listen, that doesn't make it not true. That doesn't make it not true. This is the very word of God. And Jesus is saying, here is blessing. 
The kingdom of heaven is blessing God with you. God for you. God with you is blessing. And you know something? I think you know it. I think down deep in the recesses of your heart where eternity dwells, where the thumbprint of God in your life is, I think down there you know that things of this earth, they don't really deliver. I just saw that suicide in our country just now was elevated as one of the top 10 means of people dying today. It now has entered into the top 10 sort of ways that people are passing on. And that's, that's a new dynamic. The world doesn't deliver. And I think you know that. And I think your neighbors know that. And I think your family members know that. I think your kids know that. I think your mom and dad know that. They do. We just need to go back to the word of God to tell us where that blessing is. So let's walk through it a second time. Let's go into it now the second time. The second walk is going to be, and this one we're going to go through now verse by verse and see the transformation of the kingdom people. <clears throat> the transformation of the kingdom people. So let's walk through this now slowly. The first time we just kind of gave a, a quick overview, but now let's go through it slowly. Starting with verse number three. Here's what it says. Jesus now speaking. And know who's sitting in front of him, okay? No sitting there. It says the disciples, okay, as Sean read at the beginning of our service, the disciples came, but the masses are there listening from a distance as well. And there with Jesus are the people that don't really matter. The people that don't really matter are there listening to Jesus. From the passed on fishermen to the tax collector who wrote this, to the, to the poor and the destitute, to those that didn't really even matter, they're up in Galilee right now. The people that matter are in Jerusalem. The powerful people are down around the temple. That's where the religious powerful people are. Jesus is up in Galilee now. And he has called the worthless people to him. The have-nots. The mean-nothings. And they're all now around him. And they've been passed on, you guys. They've been left behind. These are not voted most, you know, most likely to succeed. That's not who this is. These are the people that don't really mean much on this planet, in this world, in this culture. And Jesus now is going to tell them about the transformation that he works in people's lives. And the first one, and oh, you got to believe that the poor heard this and it felt good in their ears when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're going to be given the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. What does this mean? The word poor literally means here to shrink back. To cringe is what it means. It doesn't just mean that you're poor. It doesn't mean that you're below a certain sort of income level. That's not what this means. This word means destitute. It means a beggar. That's what this word means. This just doesn't mean somebody that doesn't make a real good hourly wage. It means a person who is so desperate, who's so poor, they're standing up here by the street lights, 
holding up a sign that says, please give me food. That's this word. So it's not disadvantaged. It's destitute, bankrupt, incapable of providing for oneself. This is the term used for the paraplegic laying on the ground now on the streets there in Jerusalem and Galilee region with a little bowl, a little clay bowl there waiting for coins to be dropped in. That's this word. Blessed are the destitute. Oh, but not just destitute. This is not a call for you to go out and burn your money but the destitute in spirit. I think I've got these for your sermon there. Just put them up on the screen for me. We'll, we'll walk through these. The first one here is complete dependence. Jesus is saying, blessed, happy, fulfilled, joy are those who have complete dependence upon God. They know they can't deliver on their own. They know, that they've realized, I can't produce. I tried. Oh, I tried hard. I tried to live the way the world told me to. I tried to produce, and I got nothing. I got nothing. I've got nothing to offer. I've got nothing to provide, and I'm completely dependent upon God. The spiritually destitute, like a child. Jesus says that you must become like one of these children. Look over at Finch Whited right now. Hi, Maddie. Sorry. Absolutely desperate. You must become like him. He can't provide. He produces nothing. Except for joy for his parents. That's all you got to offer him. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The next one will really illustrate the paradox nature of this passage. Blessed, happy are those who mourn. Okay, can you think about that for a minute? Blessed are those who mourn. So they're weeping. And that's what this word means. Okay, It's a very strong word. It's, it, there's a lot of words that mean grief. This is the strongest one. Okay, This is the grief over a lost spouse. This is the grief over the early death of a child. That's what this word is. Blessed are those who mourn. And I think in the context of what Jesus is going, I think it's very correct for us to say that these people are mourning over sin. They're mourning over sin. It is paradoxical that there's a blessing, there's happiness over sin, but you can, you can understand, not is, I'm sorry, there's a, there's a blessed over mourning over sin, but you can understand this. There's a sorrow over sin. We can be sorrowful over our own sin. Have you experienced that? Have you been there? Have you fallen again? Have you fallen back into sin again? And been broken over it? And literally weaved over it? And looked yourself in the mirror and said, God, what's wrong with me? Have you been there? That's mourning over sin. But I'll tell you another type of mourning over sin when you see the sinfulness of the world, when you see the brokenness of the world, when you see that the world is just is going 
high speed away from God and you're broken over it like Jesus who came to Jerusalem and he saw the crowds of people and he was moved in compassion. Those are words of grief. And he sorrowed and he wept over Jerusalem. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Blessed are those who mourn, who have sorrow over sin, for they shall be comforted. Listen, this is, the na- this is the transformation God does in your life. He starts out with you being broken, completely dependent, mourning over sin, mourning over my own sin, mourning over the sin of the world. Next. Blessed, happy are the meek. Now, what is meek? I define it as releasing one's rights. You've heard this said many times, that meekness is power under control. Typically, people use an illustration of a horse, but I got a better one, a Mustang. One time, Nancy and I went away for our anniversary, and we uh, needed to rent a car. And we're there at the desk, and the guy, you know, we're, we're, of course, you know, we, we, we had scheduled, you know, the cheapest, we want the, you know, we want like a 1987 Yugo. That's what we want, okay? The cheapest car you have, right? And we got there to the desk, and what do you know? They give us a Mustang, like a GT 5.0 convertible Mustang. And that was the most incredible car I've ever driven in my life. I mean, it's like you just, you breathe on the accelerator and the back wheels are spinning. I mean, it was just so powerful. And as I'm riding down the road, we're we're traveling on Skyline Drive in Shenandoah National Forest, down that road in that Mustang GT 5.0 liter. I mean, that thing was so powerful. And it was completely under my control. Listen, that's a picture of meekness. I could have tromp that thing down, right? Right off the road, but I could have done it. But I stayed in control. Stayed under the speed limit. That's meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is, this is the, it's the, it's the opposite of exerting one's place. It's the opposite of demanding one's rights. It's the opposite of demanding that you are heard. And this is what God does in our lives. Don't miss that. This is a transformation that God does in you. This is what, these are the kingdom people. These are the residents of the kingdom. This is what the people who live in the kingdom of Jesus are like. They're releasing their rights. They're saying, go ahead, you go first. Go ahead. I I could be first. I should be first. But you go first. Go ahead. What do you have to say? I want to hear what you have to say. Nobody else cares what you think, but I want to hear what you have to say. This is the transformation that God does in lives. And the fourth one, look at this one. They hunger and they thirst for righteousness. Have you ever been really hungry? I don't mean that you missed breakfast this morning and it's like 9.30 and you're like, man, Lo, get the sermon over. I'm starving. I need an Egg McMuffin. I don't mean that, okay? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a book called Heart of the Sea by Nathaniel Philbrook. I highly recommend it, okay? It's about the whale ship Essex that, that sailed in 1820, okay? Some of you are like, oh gosh, where, else, where is this going? This is, the, this is the actual event 
that, that motivated Melville to write Moby Dick, okay? And it was about a, a ship that, that went down and the, the sailors on board spent like 48 days or something like crazy like that on a lifeboat with no food and no water. And Philbrick, he, he researches this greatly and, and, and researches what happens to people who hunger and thirst to death. And he talks about when, when a person gets to that place where they are nearing death, where they are hunger and thirsting to death, their mind is consumed with water. They, they can think of nothing else it's their only thought. And the sailors in the lifeboats are surrounded by water and they know that if they drink the water they're sitting in, that it will only cause their death to come quicker, but they're consumed with it. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now what is righteousness? Let's talk about this because this is what God does in a person. When we think of righteousness, usually we think of, well, that's a good guy. That's a person who, that's a rule follower. They do what you're supposed to do. That is not what righteousness actually means. That's not what it means at all. So, so under, let's understand what these words really mean. Righteousness means to conform with a standard. That's what it means. It means to conform with a standard. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger, who thirst, that, that everything conform with God's standard. That's what this is. So it means to be living in this world, to living here on this earth, and to be thinking and to be feeling, oh God, I want you to reign. I want you to reign. Things here are wrong. We abuse one another. We hurt one another. We take advantage of one another. You don't rule in people's lives. Sin rules in people's lives. People are, are cursed by sin, enslaved by sin, and I hate it. That's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It can also be applied to oneself. Oh God, I hate this sin that is in me. I want to do what's right, but I find this rule that when I want to do right, I do wrong. And when I don't want to do this thing, I end up doing it. Romans chapter 7. So Jesus is saying, blessed are those, happy are those, happy, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now listen, the happiness isn't in the hungering. The happiness, it isn't in the thirsting. The happiness is in God responding. That's where the happiness is. So this is not saying for you to go on a hunger strike. It's saying you long for things to align with God. And happiness is... That God provides that. That God gives that. That God starts and aligns you with him. Vertically, he aligns you with him. And you're positionally in Christ. And you are aligned with him. Oh, there's happiness there. There's blessedness there. 
for sake of time, I need to go quick. See, this is supposed to be over three weeks. Again, I cram it into one, okay? So let's go on. Blessed are the merciful. Who are these people? Well, they, they demonstrate selfless compassion in action. They bring help to the afflicted. This is not pity or sympathy. This is not cheap riding by somebody and thinking, oh, I feel bad for them. That's not what this is. Merciful is to actually act out of compassion. It's not to feel sorry for someone. It's to act, expecting nothing in return and really expecting no one to notice. That's what this is. It's just, just to be aware of someone's need and meeting that need. We're not expecting anyone to notice or for that person to give anything back. Oh, you saw Jesus living this out over and over and over, but I want to save that for right now. So let's go on to the next one. But by the way, those people shall receive mercy. Okay? And remember, don't forget what this is. This is God telling us what he's going to transform us into, what shape he's going to make us into. Okay? He's shaping you into what these 12 verses are. And at the end, you're going to fit in the sorter, okay? You're going to fit in the sorter. That's where all this is headed. This is what he's shaping you into. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, what's that? Does that simply mean that you have a heart that works well? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. The heart is the, when the Bible speaks of the heart, now listen to this. It's not simply talking about what you, what your emotions. Now, I know that's what heart means here. So on February 14th, all of you men and all of you women, if you have a significant other in your life, are going to go to Walmart on February 13th or 14th and buy a card, okay, and have a big heart on it, and that means I love you, right? Or those little candy hearts, be mine, whatever, okay? So in our culture, heart just means love. It means emotion. But in the Greek culture, informed by the Hebrew culture. This was the place where all decisions were made. This is the, this is the, the seatbed of emotion and of choices. This is where you decide what you're going to do. This is the inner man. The word heart can be translated either heart or inner man. So look what it says. Blessed are the pure in heart. Pure means unadulterated. It means it doesn't have anything wrong in it. It's been dissolved down so all the impurities are gone. So you know what blessed the pure in heart means? It means that you are fully devoted to God. You're not divided. You're not divided between loyalties. You are fully devoted to God. He is first. There is no other on the chronology list. Ask me what second place is. I don't even know. Because I'm fully devoted. There's no priority list of my priorities. I'm fully devoted to God. So I operate where he points me to. This is what God is doing to you. He's making you fully devoted to him. So things of this earth will not deliver. You will invest in something in this world and it'll fall to the ground. You'll try to be fit and you'll gain weight, right? You'll try to have the perfect marriage and you pick on one another. 
You try to have the wonderful, beautiful children, and then they grow up. Sorry, kids, that's just the way it works. Nothing on this planet is going to deliver, so don't live for it. It's the reality. It's not going to deliver. Now listen, that doesn't mean go join a monastery with just your Bible in your hand. I'm here, let's read. That's not what that means. But it means that God, I'm fully devoted to him. My decisions are made by him and his words. Nothing else. Peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Oh, what, what a wonderful thing that they are. What is a peacemaker? Here's what a peacemaker does. Two people fighting. Two people arguing. And a peacemaker steps in. Says, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Now, Proverbs warns. You step into a fight between two people, that's like grabbing a dog by the ears. Okay? You're going to get bit. But kingdom people are willing to take that risk. They want to take that risk. They step into brokenness to bring God's righteousness to bear. They step into brokenness. They step into broken lives. They step into broke with, into, with broken people to bring God's righteousness. This is what God's conforming you to. And they'll be called the sons of God or the daughters of God. It's children of God. So it's ladies, it's you too. You're reflecting your father when you are a peacemaker, when you step into broken people's lives and you bring them righteousness. And then lastly, blessed are you, now listen to this, blessed are you when others revile you. Revile literally means to chase. This is to be physically, this this means to to be attacked by others. When they persecute you, so they're doing this with their words and their actions, and they utter all kinds of evil things against you, so they lie about you. Blessed are you when on account of Christ, people hurt you physically, say things about you verbally that aren't even true. Happy are you. Happy. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just to wrap up, let's take a 90-second walk one more time. Think about Jesus. The character of the king of the kingdom. Rand, if you would, go back and put the first set of the Beatitudes on the screen for me. Jesus. Though he was rich, he became poor. He came to the earth. And when he came, he mourned over sin. He saw the brokenness of the world and was moved in compassion and Jesus wept. And he came meek. He said, I could call legions of angels right now. He said to Pilate, if I were of this world, my my soldiers basically would come and wipe you out. But he came meek. 
and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he hungered and thirsted for righteousness, that the world would align with God. And so he was so driven in his desire that he went to a cross. Oh, but before he went there, let's go to the back four. Before he went there, he was merciful. He touched the leper. He healed the blind. He went to that poor old lady who'd had a disease for, for a dozen years, an issue of blood. And he loved her in mercy. Pure in heart, fully devoted to God, man cannot live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Fully devoted to him. Peacemaker Jesus not only stepped into a broken world, he was hung between two thieves to bring peace. And what did it bring him? Lies, insults, crucified on a cross, and died. Why is this a picture of what God is doing to you? What God is working in you? Why? It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus. The Beatitudes are the picture of God. They are what God looks like in flesh. Do you know him? Are you his? Are you being transformed into his image? I'm going to close this out in prayer tonight, or this morning that is. I just want to challenge you with the whole concept that this is what God desires to do, but you can't produce it on your own. People wrongly slander Jesus with this passage and say he's telling us how to be moral. No. He's telling us what he's like, and what he will supernaturally do in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your work. Thank you for your finished work. Lord, you finished it at the cross. Lord, we have looked here today at these eight things that you said, and we have fallen short, and we will fall short again. But I thank you for your spirit, Lord that you mold us, that you make us, that you form us into the image of Jesus. Encourage, Lord, those that are struggling because they're living for you. They're living out your kingdom and they are strangers on this earth. Encourage them today. Challenge and convict those that have drifted away and are now looking more like the world and less like the sun. May we be sensitive and broken and poor before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.